Well, I am excited this morning to dive into God's Word. We're starting a a new sermon series today. It's kind of a mini-series, kind of like the last one, Uh, a three-week series where we're going to be in the Old Testament book of Isaiah. And the sermon series is called Rain Down. And what we're going to be doing for the next three weeks, we're going to be in Isaiah 64. And what we want to be discovering and, 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 and relearning, if we will, uh, for the next uh, three weeks is what it looks like when the Spirit of God is poured out on His people. Just poured out on us. What does it look like when God reigns down? And what must we do as the people of God to open the channels through which God will pour out into our lives? And so this series is really about helping us... Uh, it's a lot about preparing our hearts for what we're praying God will do Easter Sunday. Easter's April the 17th. And so we want to take these three weeks and really be anticipating the move of God, praying for God to pour out, praying for his power to fall. And listen, but I don't want to wait till Easter. I don't want him to only fall on Easter. I want him to fall now. I want the power and the presence and the supernatural outpouring of God to begin even now. And so one of the things we're going to be doing through this three-week series, starting Next uh, a Sunday, is we're going to begin a week of fasting, a week of fasting. Now, those of you who fasted with us last year when you did 21 days, you got it. Seven, come on, week of fasting, you can do this. And so those of you who have done fast with us before, you know there's several different ways that you can fast, different ways that you can jump in. And uh, we're going to want you to register for that. And when you do, you're going to get a resource, a, a book that kind of helps you navigate um, this fast and is an encouragement to you. And because what, what I'm praying happens over the next three weeks as we work our way through Isaiah 64 and we pray for God to rain down is it would begin to till up the soil of our life. That it would begin to kind of break up the hard ground in those areas of our life that have become um, kind of hard to God so that he can pour out in power. And here's why I think this is important because the greatest need in the life of the church and in the life of every believer, is for God's presence to rain down. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, there is no need that you have greater than for the presence of God to pour out into your life, for there to just be an outpouring of the power of the Holy Spirit. Our homes need this. My home needs it. Your home needs revival. Our city needs it. Our church needs it. The nation, the world needs revival. And listen, this is not going to come by military power. Military power can't bring it. There isn't an economic upturn that can uh, provide it. There's no election cycle that can ignite it. Revival is the sovereign will of work of Almighty God. That's what it is. It is, the, it is a sovereign act of God, which means this. He can pour it out or he can withhold it. It's his sovereign will. It means that. That's, that, that's what that means. He can, while, and while it's true that God can give or withhold the outpouring of his presence, it is also true that he gives that outpouring in response to the spiritual conditions and the longings of his people. And so what I'm praying is that a renewed and, and powerful longing for the presence of God awakens in us. That's what I'm praying happens through this series. So grab your Bible. Let's go to Isaiah 64. If you're not already there, I want to kind of give you some context of what's happening 
in Isaiah 64. When we come in on Isaiah 64, we're actually coming right in the middle of, of a prayer. Isaiah is right in the middle of praying for mercy and for a divine intervention of God on behalf of his people. And he's praying for mercy because um, God's people are in a desperate place. They're in a place where they have sinned against God. They've rebelled against him. Their hearts have become hard toward him. And God has given them over to the consequence of their sin. The nation of Israel is in spiritual devastation. They're absolutely devastated spiritually. They've been taken captive. And this prayer is a begging for God to come again. It is both a begging for God to move again on their behalf, and it is a lamenting, it's a grieving over the sin that has separated them from God's presence. And so what I want us to do is I want us to read through uh, the first nine verses of Isaiah chapter 64. We're going to primarily camp out on the first three today, but I want to read the first nine because I want you to get a sense of what's stirring in Isaiah's heart. I want you to get a sense of what, what he's, what, this turmoil that's happening inside him and this longing that is happening inside him. And, and as we read this, I want you to take note of the language. Take note of that deep longing for God's presence that he's communicating his desire for. And take note of this deep brokenness and this sorrow that is felt over his sin, the sin of the people. So we don't, we don't do this often. If you're new to New Beginnings, we don't do this every week, but I want to do it today. As we read God's Word, would you just stand? Let's just stand in honor of it. Um, just as an act of faith that says, God, whatever you want to speak to my heart, I want to receive today. Isaiah 64, we're going to read 1 through 9. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down that the mountains might quake at your presence. As when fire kindles brushwood and fire causes water to boil. Why? To make your name known to your adversaries and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down and the mountains quaked at your presence. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear, no eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. You meet him. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in your ways. Behold, you were angry and we sinned. And in our sins, we have been a long time. And shall we be saved? We have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Lord, we all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us. You have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. But now, O oh Lord, you are our Father. You are the clay. We are the clay, and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. So be not so terribly angry, O oh Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. 
Behold, please look. We are all your people. Father, would you allow the living, real, piercing power of your word to pour out on us? God, would you allow it to speak into the deepest recesses of our heart? Would you ignite in us a desire for you and a longing for you, Lord? Stir us up this morning. Holy Spirit, that is your work, and I'm asking you to move in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can be seated. Thank you for doing that. So again, we're kind of looking at those first three uh, verses this morning, and what I want us to see are three truths, three realities, if you will, about revival and about the outpouring of God's presence. Three realities that I'm praying will awaken a desire for God, awaken and, and ignite a desire for God to pour out his presence in our lives, in this generation, right now. That's what I'm praying for. So let's dive in. Here's the first truth. Here's the first reality. Revival is the outpouring of God's presence. That's what it is. It is the outpouring of God's presence. In Isaiah 64, 1, we get as good a description of revival as we do anywhere in the Bible. It is God coming down. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Revival is the manifestation, the very real appearing of the presence and the power of God coming down to us. Three times in these three verses, Isaiah uses the phrase, at your presence. Three times he says that, that the mountains might quake at your presence and the nations might tremble at your presence because the mountains quaked at your presence. Listen, when we pray for revival, when we ask for um, the presence of God to fall, we are asking for nothing less than the manifest very real appearing of the presence of God. We are praying for an intervention of God in our world, for his presence to be deeply felt and powerfully known. When we pray for revival, we're praying for him to shake the very foundation of this world with his presence. And listen, that's how God wants us to pray. God wants us to pray this. God wants from your lips the prayer, would you Tear the heavens and come down. That's the prayer he wants us to pray. Isaiah prayed this. Jesus prayed this prayer. In Matthew chapter 6 when he says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come down. Your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. What's he saying? He is saying, God, the way that you pour out your presence in heaven, pour it out like that on earth. That's revival. God wants us to pray like this. He wants us to pray with boldness. He wants us to pray with passion for the growth and the influence and the expansion and, and the joy of his kingdom poured out right now among us. And so often we neglect or we forget or we ignore praying for the outpouring of his presence because we have forgotten the reality that all of our happiness, all of our joy, all of our prosperity is bound up in the prosperity of the kingdom of God. All of your joy, all of your contentment, all of your spiritual thriving is bound up in the prospering of the kingdom of God. So God would have us pray for the advancement of that kingdom, that it would come down, that he would pour 
out. Revival is the outpouring of God's presence. And every experience of revival that we see in God's word or every experience of revival that we have seen in church history, every single one of them, listen, is marked by the supernatural outpouring of the presence of God. You go, wait a minute. You're talking about all this presence stuff. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time. He's here right now. Yes, that's true. But when we pray for him to rain down, he was also omnipresent in Isaiah 64, and yet Isaiah still prayed, God, would you come down? He was asking for a unique visitation, a unique pouring out of presence, a unique manifestation of the power of God displayed among them. And every revival that we see, every spiritual awakening that we see in God's word or in Church history is marked by this. It's marked by the supernatural outpouring. Think about Acts chapter 2. Right? What happens? The Holy Spirit, what? Comes down. He fell on the church at Pentecost. The heavens were open, and the Lord himself entered into his temple in the hearts of men, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. I think if you were to ask Peter and James and John and Mary and all of those who were in that upper room, what happened up there? Man, you guys came out of there. Something, what happened in that room? You know what they would say? God came down. God fell in this place. I have no reason. There's no understanding. I have no explanation other than God poured out. In Acts 4 verse 31, the church is praying for God to move in power to give them boldness to share the gospel and to see the expansion of the kingdom. And it says, God fell. The foundations that they, where they were standing shook and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. God came down. It's not just a New Testament thing. In Exodus 19 and 20, we see God coming down onto Mount Sinai and meeting with Moses. He comes down. He get, his presence dwells there. He gives him the Ten Commandments and a revival breaks out among God's people. We see it in 1 Kings uh, uh, 18, when God comes down in power, in fire, and consumes the sacrifice of Elijah and a spiritual awakening because all of a sudden idols are torn down, uh, idolaters are put away, and God brings this revival among his people. And in 1 Thessalonians, God's word tells us, that at the last great spiritual awakening, at the last revival, Jesus himself is going to come down in the power of his presence and in victory, and he's going to claim his bride. What's the point? Revival isn't about us trying to get to him. It is God coming down. It is the manifest presence, the sovereign act of his will to pour out on us. Listen, let me ask you, do you long for the presence of God to pour out in your life? Sit with that question for a minute. Just sit with that. Do you long for a fresh outpouring of the presence of God? That's what revival is. It's not a series of meetings, and it's not some blip on the spiritual radar. It is God coming down. Do we long for that? That outpouring, that pouring out of who he is, is the result of something. It takes us to the second truth. It's this. The outpouring of God's presence is the fruit of longing 
and repentance. I wish there was another way to experience the presence of God, but there isn't. The outpouring of God's presence is the fruit of longing and repentance. Those first few words in these verses reveal this desperation that Isaiah has for the presence of God to come. He says, oh, that you would rend the heavens. Oh, that you would come down. Those words convey a passion. There's this longing. There's this felt burden deeply felt in Isaiah's heart for God to pull back the sky and pour out. He's crying out for this. I wonder if we have that longing for God to come down and to do his reviving work, or if we were honest, would we have to just say, you know what, I've kind of become satisfied with the way things are. I've become satisfied. I've become used to not having the power of God at work in my life. And I'm okay. Boy, if that's you this morning, the prayer from your lips is, God, would you rend the heavens and come down? Come down. If we want to experience the outpouring of God's presence, then our hearts must yearn for God. We have to pray with Isaiah, God, will you come down? And listen, God loves to come down. It is his delight to come down. He desires to pour out his presence. But hear me, God does not come where he is not desired. Are you with me? He doesn't come where he is not desired. This is why so much of our praying has to be centered on asking for a stirring up of desire, stir up a longing, awaken this desire for you. It has to be centered on that, and it has to be centered on repenting from the things that we have loved more than God that have lessened and diminished our desire for God. It's why when we pray on Wednesdays, we pray for a filling of the Holy Spirit and the power of God to come among us, and we repent. It's why this is, the, this is kind of the bedrock of how we pray. We need him to stir this desire up, and we need to deal with the things that we have loved more than God. Do you long for this? God will not come where he is not longed for, but listen, God will come to the people, and he will come to the place where longing and repentance come together. Where desire and brokenness meet, that's where God wants to pour out. And we can't work ourselves up into that. That is the fruit of yielding, of surrendering, of prayer, of saying, God, I need this, and if I don't get this, I spiritually die. Remember why Isaiah was praying this prayer at all. He's... He's seeing the the spiritual devastation that God's people are in because of their sin and because of their rebellion. Look again at what he says in verse 1 and 2. He says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. As when fire kindles brushwood and fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, and that the nations might tremble at your presence. 
God's people were in this terrible place. They'd been taken captive because they had turned from God and they were beginning uh, to look more and more like every other nation. They were starting to look like the world. They were starting to look like the nations that God had not chosen as his own possession and that God was not dwelling with and they began to look more and more like them and Isaiah sees it and he's broken over it. It's a a totally separate sermon. But the more the church looks like the world, the further we get from the presence of God. When Isaiah says that the mountains might quake at your presence, that's, that's symbolic language. He's trying to get us to understand. So He's not praying for a physical earthquake to happen. He's, he's symbolizing something. The mountains symbolize, symbolize the obstacles that are hindering the experience of the presence of God. Those mountains are the immovable objects that stand between us and God. And in essence, Isaiah is saying, God, there is a mountain of sin that stands between you and us. And would you rend the heavens, tear them apart, come down in such power that you obliterate every sinful issue that is hindering your outpouring in my life. That's what he's praying. Feels kind of like a dangerous prayer, doesn't it? The people of God struggle to pray like this because the reality is we all have sin issues we really don't want God to touch. Got quiet in here, didn't it? (laughs) I've been getting amens all morning, but not at that point. Mm -mm, Nobody's been like, we all have sin issues. We really don't want God to mess with. They're the pet sins. They're those things that we go and nibble at to feel a little bit satisfied. But the truth is, it's those things that are killing our hunger for God. And they are the mountain that stands between us and him. Isaiah sees it. We have to see it so that we can pray, would you come down and shake the mountains? obliterate this mountain of sin. When we ask for the Spirit of God to rain down, when we ask for an outpouring of His presence, we are asking God to come and deal with our sin. Church, revival prayers are not prayers saying, God, make me happy. They're prayers saying, God, make me holy. And as you make me holy, I become happy. I'm happy when I'm holy. But if I pursue happiness above holiness, I live perpetually dissatisfied. God, would you rend the heavens and come down? Make us holy. Deal with the mountain of sin. This outpouring of God's presence. It's the fruit of longing and repentance. So Isaiah sees this. This is He recognizes this deep need for God's presence and he's longing for it. Listen, longing begins with the recognition of what I need most. If I begin to see a thing as the thing that I need most in this life, I'm going to long for that thing, right? Imagine if if medical science had invented a pill. Medical science invents a pill, right? And if you take this pill, 
uh, you're not going to live forever. You still have to die. Uh, but if you take this pill, it's going to cure every disease you have, no matter what it is, cured, gone. And it's going to make you immune to any sickness for the rest of your life. You will spend the rest of your days in perfect health if you take the pill. You want that pill? I'll fight you for that pill. I'm getting me one of those. I promise you. I'm going to find one. I'm going to take it. Why? I'm going to long for it. I'm going to wait in line for it. I'm going to pay whatever it costs. Why? Because something in me is going to look at that and go, I desperately need that. Church, listen to me. You and I will never long for God until we are totally convinced of our desperate need for him. You will not long for the thing you don't have a felt need for. And that is why for some of us, we don't experience the presence of God because we don't have a felt need for him. Which means our prayer has to become, God, whatever mountain is in my life, break it down and stir up the longing. Stir up the desire. Stir it up, whatever you have to do. Burn it with your holy fire. Burn up the dead brushwood in my life. Burn with holy fire. Make the water boil till the impurities are gone, but come down and make the mountains tremble in my life. We have to be convinced of our need. That's where longing is born. So what do we do, though? Let's ask this question. This very, I've been wrestling with it in my heart this week. What do we do if we aren't feeling that desperate need for him? Matt, I hear you're yelling a lot. We feel it. You're screaming at us. I want to feel that way. I want to sense that need for God, but I don't. And what do I do? I don't feel that desire for him. Listen, if that's where you find yourself, I want you to hear me say, you don't feel that way because you've had too much of God. You feel that way because there is sin in your life and you have feasted on something that is less than God and it has muted your desire for God. So what do we do? We pray, God, would you rend the heavens and come down? Would you stir up a desire in me. And you pray that until he does it. And you stay constant in that prayer because you've begun to see that is what you need most. The answer is not more of you. The answer is more of God. God, would you come down? Would you come down? You know, I, I love being a part of the people of God. I think we love to call ourselves the people of God. But I wonder, I wonder what it is we're communicating to God. What are we communicating? Are we communicating to God that we are hungry souls that want to come and feast in His presence? We want to come and be satisfied with Him. Now, if you're a guest with us, so glad you're here. I'm going to give you the next 60 seconds, and you can ignore what I'm about to say. If you're a guest with us, this lecture is not for you. What are we communicating about our desire for God? When our weekly prayer gathering goes mostly ignored by the vast majority of our people.
Just ignore it. What are we saying to God when we say, God, I don't have time to come and pray with your people? What are we communicating when, that, when we do that? What are we communicating when we're apathetic in our worship, when there's apathy in standing in this room and lifting our voice to the King of Kings and singing of salvation? I, when I say the words, in the darkness, I was waiting without hope and without light until from heaven, you came. You came to me running with mercy in your eyes. I should not be able to sing that and something not stir in me, but I gotta be honest with you. There are times that I do. And there are times that you do. And when that happens, it is the clarion call that I need revival. I need a new awakening. I need a fresh outpouring. God, stir up desire. Stir up desire. Now I want you to imagine with me. So Imagine someone, my buddy Mike here. Imagine Mike says, hey, uh, Pastor Matt, tomorrow morning, I want you to meet me at the corner of 154 and 271. And I want you to be there at 9 a.m. sharp. Because if you're there, I'm going to give you $100,000 cash. Mike, that's super generous of you. Thank you for doing that. Super sweet, man. I didn't know you. This is awesome. Awesome. <laughs> he said me either. I didn't know I had that kind of money either. <laughs> Imagine Mike says, if you will be there at 9 a.m., 271 and 154, I will meet you there and I will give you $100,000. Oh, you can bet I'm going to be there. I'm going to be early. I'm going to get there before Mike. I'm going to be sitting there waiting on Mike. I'm going to be looking up and down the streets wondering which way he's coming. I'm going to long for him, wait for him, and when he gets there, I'm going to greet him with joy. Why? That's a life-changing amount of money. But, in, but more deeply than that, more earnestly than that, the God who can change your life and change your eternity wants to awaken a desire for him in you. And what do we communicate when we come with no expectation to this moment? We come with no desire to meet with him. We simply come because that's what we do on Sundays. What are we, what are we saying? God wants to stir up a desire and, a, and awaken a longing for, but that outpouring, it comes from longing and repentance. And we don't get it any other way. So revival is the outpouring of God's presence. God's presence is the fruit of longing and repentance. Here's the last thing. When God pours out, it may not be what we expect but it will exceed our expectations. When God pours out, it may not be what we expect, but it will exceed our expectations. Look at verse 3 of Isaiah 64. When you did awesome things, listen to what he says, that we did not look for. <laughs> we didn't see him coming. You came down in the mountains quaked at your presence. One of the evidences of God coming down in the past was when he did things that his people did not expect, when he moved in powerful ways that took them by surprise. You ever had God move in a way in your life that completely took you by surprise? That's that outpouring, right? That's one of the evidences of him moving. And when we consider how God has worked in the past and how he has moved throughout history, it doesn't teach us how to box God in. It teaches us that we have to keep our hearts open to him because he does things we're not looking for. Now listen, God never acts out of character. 
He never is. Uh, he never violates his word, and he is always true to himself. But God is never at a loss for new and unexpected ways to bring breakthrough in your life. It may not be what you expect, but it will exceed your expectations. Let's just think of a few examples that we know of in God's word. Think about God's people in slavery. They were in slavery for how long? 400 years, right? I guarantee you in year 399, none of them expected that God would move and set them free. And yet in year 400, that's exactly what he did. They weren't expecting it, but he did it. Now they're free and they're stuck against the Red Sea and and Pharaoh's army barreling down on them with the intention of killing every single one of them. And what happened? God forked that sea in half and they walked across. They didn't expect that, but he did it. He did it. For 400 years, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the world was stumbling in darkness and silence for 400 years, hopeless, with no way forward. And what happened? The Savior of the world was born in the dirt. (laughs) Nobody expected that. But he did it. You and I were condemned in our guilt. Hope, hopeless to defend ourselves. Could not speak a word in our defense. And what happened? Our judge came down and endured our penalty on the cross, dying in our place. No one was expecting that. But he did it. And he was dead. He was buried. And all the hope that he had stirred up and created was dead with him. And what happened? He rose from the dead. He ascended to the Father and he began pouring out his spirit on the ones who were his enemies and his murderers and making them into the friends of God. No one expected that. But he did it. He's full of surprises, right? Aren't you glad that God's power is not measured in whether he meets my expectations? (laughs) Thank you, Lord. Because listen, if God only meets my expectations, then he won't exceed them. And if he's not exceeding my expectations, he has ceased to be true to who his word says he is. What does Ephesians 3.20 say? This is the God who can do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. This is not an overpromise and underdeliver God. He's the God that exceeds our expectations, which means this. You can never ask too much of God when your desire is for more of God. You can't think thoughts too highly of God. You can't think too greatly of God when the desire of your heart is for more of him. He's the God who can do immeasurably more than all that we can ask or think or pray. And if we want to see the outpouring of God's presence in power, it is time for us to start praying, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down and do awesome things that we aren't even looking for. So for the last 25 years, this kind of floored me a little bit. For the last 25 years in the United States, there's been zero 
uh, net growth, zero net church growth in North America. Think about that. The last 25 years, there's been zero net church growth. Meaning, now that doesn't mean there aren't churches that are growing. There aren't churches that are, aren't seeing salvations and multiplying by God's grace. He's doing that work right here at New Beginnings. Lord God, keep your hand on us. Keep doing that work. But when you take it as a whole, what you see is American Christianity is drifting into being completely insignificant. That's what's happening. And this is happening in our generation. It's happening right now. And listen, this is our moment. We're responsible for this. We're responsible for this. The issue is not in America. The issue is in the church. I don't need God to fix the country. I need him to stir up his people. Because if he'll stir us, the country will be fine. I don't need the solution to what is broken in us is not outside of this. It is right here with God pouring out among us. We are responsible to embrace the burden of longing for God. To embrace the burden of wanting Him to move. What do we do? We have to choose to accept that burden. Accept, receive, embrace it. Ray Ortland calls it the inconvenient, disturbing, question-provoking, ego-humbling, prayer-stimulating, church-changing, prophetic burden. It's a burden that we want to see the glory of Jesus come down in this generation. What would it look like to embrace that burden? to embrace the burden of that longing, to live with it, to pray with it, to die with it burning in our hearts. This morning, if, uh, if you're sitting here listening to all this yelling about the presence of God, and I want to tell you that begins in a relationship with Jesus. You don't experience the outpouring of God's presence if you do not belong to Him through the work of His Son, Jesus Christ. Have you made Jesus the Lord of your life? I'm not asking if you're a fan of Jesus. I'm asking, do you belong to Him? Have you been born again? Does He belong to you? Is He Lord? If not, the outpouring of God's presence in your life begins with you surrendering your life and saying, I want to make Jesus Lord. I've seen the fruit of me being Lord. It's not enough. I need the Lord God of heaven to save me. When Isaiah wrote Isaiah 63 and 64, he was having to look forward to the day when God would send a Messiah who could shake the mountains of sin that separated us from God. But we don't have to wait for him. We get to look at Jesus who has destroyed through the, through the cross. He's destroyed the mountains of sin so that we can be restored to God. Is he Lord of your life? If not, in just a moment, you need to step out in that first act of faith and that first act of obedience. You need, I'm going to have some ministers over to you. So you over to the side, you just come grab one of them by the hand and say, I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life. For the rest of us, I'm going to call us to prayer. And maybe you've never earnestly prayed, God, would you rend the heavens and come down in my life? 
and you're sitting here going, if it means I got to deal with my sin, that feels super risky. I know, it is. But if, what you, what if, but if you have come to realize your deepest need is for God to move in you, then that's the prayer you pray. God, would you rend the heavens and come down that the mountains of sin in my life would shake that you would burn up the brushwood, the dead things in my heart, that you would boil out the impurities. That's what we need, amen? That's what our city needs. I want to come to a day when I'm sitting with my children and my grandchildren. And I'm able to tell them about one of the greatest and most satisfying memories that I have in all of my believing life, which was in the spring of 2022 when God came down at New Beginnings. It's one of the best memories I'll have. I I can't wait to tell them about it. But it begins by praying, would you rend the heavens and come down? And so as we worship, if you have not made Jesus the Lord of your life and you need to do that, I want you to grab one of our ministers and just say, man, I need you to pray for me. I need to make Jesus Lord and they'll help you do that. For the rest of you, I'm asking you in an act of faith. If you've come to realize my deepest need is for God to pour out, then I'm going to ask you if you're physically able to come and pray at this altar. If not, sit in your seat and pray. Turn around, kneel at your chair and pray. But don't be a spectator. Step out. Come and join me. God, rend the heavens. Come down in my life. Father, I pray that for the next few moments, we would just surrender to you, Lord. We would recognize our deepest need is you, for you to pour out, for you to move in power. So, Father, help us be obedient right now. In Jesus' name.